Man, wow, what a day, huh? It is good to see you guys. Man, our praise band, worship band, they just crushed it today, didn't they? And they've been awesome, and they're awesome. They're awesome all the time. We had a cello on stage. Man, I love the cello. Never played it, but I love it. Sounds awesome. Hey, have you downloaded God With Us yet? New song from 317 Collective. If you don't, you need to get it. They're going fast, man. Internet shutting down. Right? It's a great Christmas song. Hope you get it. It's cool. It is cool what God's doing in, at, and through First Baptist Burleson. Because let's face it, the world needs some, some goodness right now, doesn't it? Needs a little hope, needs a little excitement. I, I'm, in the, I'm in the Christmas spirit now. I really wasn't before. I've got to be honest, but now I am. So Merry Christmas. <clears throat> wow, seven of you joined me in the Christmas spirit. The rest of you are a bunch of Scrooges, all right? You're in church, God's house, right? Christmas is the beginning of the gospel, right? That's the good news. And it doesn't stop because of worldwide pandemics. It doesn't stop if you get the Rona, right? Keeps going. All right. Good, good. Praise God. All right. Look at uh, Romans 12. We've been going through the book of Romans in a series called Not Ashamed. If you want to finish that, not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed to live it, not ashamed to speak it, not ashamed to share it. And what a great time of year to share the gospel because it is truly understanding the meaning of Christmas. And so we've been going through, last week we looked at the first part of Romans 12, where Paul urges us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, not just living, but also holy and acceptable. And we talked about what that means, what it means to be a living sacrifice. That's an oxymoron. Most sacrifices die, but a living sacrifice is awesome. But the problem with a living sacrifice, it can easily crawl off the altar, right? Things get a little tough, a little intense. Wait, God, that's not what I signed up for. I thought it was going to be like this. And now you tell me it's going to be like this. Well, I'm out, right? So that's the danger of a living sacrifice. We can easily kind of crawl back into what is comfortable when God puts, allows the pressure on us. And so Paul talked about that. Well, then there's got to be a transformation. If you're going to live as a living sacrifice, there's got to be a total transformation that starts right here with the renewing of your mind, the way you see God, the way you see you, the way you see others, that all has to change. And then he explains that a little bit. And today he's going to give us the evidence that you've experienced transformation. You know, one of the things I've seen a lot of uh, because of COVID-19 that have, a lot of people have put on what we call the COVID-19 weight, right? Like 19 pounds plus. Because we've been at home. We haven't been exercising. We haven't been out. We've been eating a lot of junk food, which gives us comfort, but also gives us cholesterol and high blood pressure. And so a lot of people are trying to get healthy. I've seen a lot of Christmas cards that kind of deal with, oh, COVID-19, the 2020, and, and trying to put a little laughter into it and experience in it. But one of the things that I've seen, which is good, people are trying to get healthier. In fact, Robin and I, a few months ago, committed we need to get healthy. And so uh, we started to do some, make some adjustments. Well, actually, it wasn't my decision, but my doctor told me I needed to. So numbers a little bit high. So started, okay, let's, let's rethink how we eat. Let's rethink food. Let's rethink going out to eat. Let's rethink snacks. Uh, and so Robin found a plan that's worked for her. She's lost 35 pounds because of this. 
uh, I don't care about losing weight, so I still eat Bluebell, but I have learned a lot from her. But my numbers are down, uh, at least as far as the doctor knows. So this, but it's, it's really, it took a total transformation. It wasn't about behavior modification. It wasn't just a few tweaks here and there. And that's what Paul says. Being a living sacrifice isn't about tweaking a few areas. Well, I need to sacrifice this to God. I need to sacrifice that to God. No, it's total. Just like losing weight, just like getting healthy. It's a total life commitment. And so Paul is saying today in the verses we're going to see, verses 9 through 21, that if you've really experienced this transformation, if you're really serious about being healthy spiritually, then this is going to be evidence. And these are commands. In fact, in verses 9 through 13, he gives 24 different commands to Christians. If you're going to be a living sacrifice, this is what you must do. And it's interesting because if you compare those commands to our human tendencies, they, they directly expose some of our human tendencies. Let me give you some examples. Uh, maybe some of us have a, ten, a tendency to be sinful. I think we all maybe struggle with sin in our life, choice sins in our life. Well, verse 9 says to hate evil. Some of us maybe struggle with being selfish. Verse 10 says honor one another. Maybe there's some lazy people here. People struggle with being lazy. Verse 11 says keep your spiritual fervor. A lot of people are sad. A lot of people are scared by this whole worldwide pandemic. Verse 12 says be joyful in hope, patient in affliction faithful in prayer. Uh, some people are stingy. Verse 13 says, share with God's people. So God knows us, right? He created us. He knows our tendencies. And Paul writes these words that are in direct contrast. These are the, the countermeasures to some of the natural things that we feel because God didn't call us to just do what is natural to us. In fact, we fight against that to pursue him. So look at verse 9. Romans chapter 12. Here's evidence that you are being transformed spiritually. Love must be sincere. Again, these are commands, not suggestions. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So here's the the test. Here's the check mark to see, are we truly a living sacrifice? Are we being transformed by the renewing of your mind? And, and so here are the activities of a healthy spiritual body. First of all, love must be sincere. Love sincerely. Not just in word, but also in action. It takes both. It's easy to say that we love each other. It's easy even to say we love God, but do our actions reflect the same? That word sincere means without hypocrisy, without deceit. So the, the idea is here, love regardless. I'm going to love you regardless, regardless if you love me back, regardless if I agree with you or not, I'm going to love you. Which means when someone hurts you, 
the automatic Christian response is forgiveness, even if that person never asked for it. I forgive you in thought and in action. I still pray for you. I honor you, even though you hurt me deeply. That's a tough one, especially if they don't ask for it, especially if they don't even acknowledge it, especially if they don't even recognize what they did. Yet I'm to forgive them, yes, just as the Lord has forgiven you. Well, what if I don't agree with the way they live? What if there's sin in their life and, and they're, they're rebellious and, and they've chosen not to deal with that sin? You still love them. Now, it may look different. It's not love without boundaries. It's not love just accepting people the way they are. Well, just, I'm just going to let it go. No, if I truly love you and I see you headed down a path of destruction, I see sin in your life, out of love, after prayer and much preparation, I approach you and say, man, I got to tell you something. What I see in your life is dangerous. It's leading you to destruction. It is harming you. And I want to help you out of it. I want to snatch you back from the fire. This is what it means to love sincerely. Without pretense, without expectation that you're going to love me back. I'm going to love people who are unlovely. I'm going to love people I don't like. I'm going to love. My response will always be to love Jesus said it in John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you what? Love one another. So he's directing it here to Christ followers, brothers and sisters in Christ. The world will know that you truly believe in Jesus beyond what you say or what you wear or how you act when you truly show love to the brethren <laughs> or the sistren. That doesn't work. So the community of faith, right? That's how the world will know. Put up all your banners, put all your t-shirts, use all your logos. That's great. Do all your social media. That's great. I just want to see how you treat each other. If I see that, then I can believe in your sincerity. That's interesting. Sounds easy, doesn't it? But it's not always that easy. John Calvin wrote this, it is difficult to express how ingenious almost all men are in counterfeiting a love which they do not really possess. We're good at faking it. We're great at faking it at church. Oh, I love you. I just don't have time to listen to your problems. I love you. I think what you're doing is wrong, but I don't have time to invest in you to try to help you out of it. That's not sincere love. In fact, I think probably, I haven't seen any stats on this, but more people are drawn to the church by genuine, selfless Christian love than any theological debate they've ever heard. But the reverse is also true. More people have been repelled from the church by selfish, prideful, arrogant, non-caring Christians than probably the most horrific thing you can think of. I think it was Gandhi that said, I would have become a Christian if it weren't for Christians. <laughs> Man, that's quite an indictment, isn't it? So when the world sees you, how do they define Christianity? When the world hears you, how do, how do they reflect on the God that you serve? These are the questions that Paul is driving us to. So love is truly the lifeblood of the body of Christ, of the church. Love should be our default always. 
Now, love doesn't mean that you're going to change the other person or you're going to change the other person's mind, but it truly is love regardless. Then he says to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Evil is the enemy of all things that lead to Christ-likeness in our life. So evil seeks to destroy not just our lives, but our reputation, our witness. Evil seeks to destroy you. Satan realizes that as a Christian, he can never have your soul, but he can ruin your reputation. He can, he can hinder your walk. He can definitely destroy your witness. And so that word hate, that's pretty strong, right? We teach our kids, don't say the word hate. You don't hate people. I only hate one thing in my life, and it's not cats. <laughs> it's broccoli. I hate broccoli. I don't know why people would eat a weed, right? Should be killed. I hate broccoli. You can wrap it in bacon. I still hate broccoli. So to that level of hating broccoli, I need to hate evil, right? <laughs> yeah, amen. So it's twofold. I hate what is evil, but it doesn't stop there. Because if it stops there, we're going to be tempted to fall back into evil. So if I'm, not hating what, if I'm hating what is evil, I've got to cling to what is good. That word cling is to glue, to bond. It's like gorilla glue. <laughs> to cling to what is good. Think on things that are excellent. As my mind is being renewed, I stop thinking on things that are sinful and evil, and I think on things that are trustworthy, that are excellent, that are approved by God, <laughs> not condemned by God. And as I think that way, I begin to behave that way. This is how the transformation works. Because the truth is, we live what we believe. If you truly say you believe that Jesus is Lord, it will be reflected in the way you live. Not that you're not going to sin, not that you're going to do it perfectly, but that is truly your heart's desire to live in this way and to live in this manner. And then he said to be devoted to others. It's not a word we use a lot. We talk about our daily devotions, right? We don't necessarily walk around using that word devoted, but that word devoted means I am committed to you regardless. Again, whether you love me back or not, I'm committed to you. Whether you've hurt me or not, whether I agree with you or not, I am committed to you. Whether I voted the same way you did or not, I am committed to you. Whether I look at social issues the same way you do or not, I am committed to you. I am for you. I may not be all that you stand for, but I am for you to be devoted to one another, to prefer one another. Paul wrote this in the letter to the Philippians. Chapter 2, verse 3 through 4, we know this one. Do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Oh, she's not better. <laughs> I mean, she may be as good as, but she's not better. Paul says, no, think of them as better. Better. That that, that person, my responsibility is to care for that person, even if it costs me something. I'm to care about your needs before my own. It doesn't mean I neglect my needs. He's not saying that. But if you have a need and I have a need, I'm going to help meet your need before I meet my need. This is what it means to prefer one another. Then he says to outdo one another in showing honor. 
honor is something weighty. It's valuable. We don't use the word honor a lot either, except for maybe presidents or parents or kings to honor. But it it means I, I don't talk bad about you when I'm not around you. I might not even have a close relationship with you, but I'm not going to defame your name. I'm not going to tweet out negative things about you. I'm not going to talk about you behind your back. I'm not going to gossip about you. Even if I know some things that are worthy of gossip, (laughs) I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to share. I'm not going to hurt. I'm going to show you respect and dignity. Paul is really saying, if, if you want to be competitive, if you want to compete against one another, then try to outdo one another in honoring one another. Try to brag on that person more than they brag on you. This is what it means to honor. Galatians 6.10, Paul wrote a lot of good stuff. Have you ever noticed that? As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are in the household of faith. Then he says, never lack zeal. The life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit in a believer truly radically alters the way a person lives. We talked about this through the book of Romans. If you truly follow Christ, you will be changed. If you truly have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God living within you, you will be changed. If you are the same today as you were before you met Christ, then you did not meet Christ. You may have met an idea, you may have met an experience, but you did not meet the true Christ because he will always change you. He accepts us just like we are, just as I am, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. (laughs) So never lack zeal. A spirit-filled believer should never be dull and boring. (laughs) We have too much to be thankful for. We have too much to talk about. Just the goodness of God is enough to praise him all of our days. There's enough that we know about God to be able to praise him, to be able to talk about what he's doing in our life. That's exciting, the transformation that we're undergoing, the sanctification that we're experiencing. That's enough to get excited about. Don't be boring. Don't make people think God is a boring God, right? Hey, when we get to heaven, we're not gonna sit on clouds playing a harp. That's boring. Heaven's going to be awesome. It's going to be exciting. I'm always going to shoot under par. I cannot wait for that. (laughs) How can we be so, how can we be boring? It doesn't make sense. There's too much to be thankful for. And, And then Paul gets really personal. He tells us that we are to bless our enemies. Again, these are commands, not suggestions. Bless your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, this, is, this has gone too far, so we don't have to obey this part, okay? I just want you to know it. I just want you to hear it. I'm teasing. <laughs> we do have to obey it. He's kind of been building, right? Oh, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that. I can do that. My enemies? Come on. God, do you know what they did to me? Do you know why they're my enemies? Well, of course he does. 
Bless your enemy. And the truth is, when you truly stand up for what you believe, when you truly stand up for what the Bible says, when you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the calling you have received, then you will gain enemies. Don't be surprised, Jesus said, when the world hates you for following me because they hated me too. When you stand up for what is right, you're going to attract all kinds of enemies. But Paul here is talking about the principle of non-retaliation. The principle of non-retaliation, it is throughout the New Testament. It is not our job to pay people back for the evil that they do. We stand for justice, we stand for what is right, but we are not the judge, we are not the punishers. That is God's job. In fact, the best way to get rid of an enemy is to turn him into a friend. I know a few weeks ago when I challenged you to know the first and last name of the people who live in the three houses to your right and the three houses to your left, I know there were some of you that thought, you know, I can, I can get to know house one and house three, but house two, no stinking way. That dude is a jerk. <laughs> I mean, he didn't even put up Christmas lights for Christmas. Right, his dog's always barking like at midnight. Guy leaves his trash out, his junk all in his yard. There's no way. This guy, he doesn't speak to me when I speed down past his house. There's, I'm not, that doesn't apply. I'm not going to do that. If there's somebody like that in your life, or maybe somebody you're related to that you would consider your enemy, as I say the word enemy, did someone's face pop into your mind? That's who I'm talking about. It may be enemy strong, but someone you just really do not like very much. Well, since it's Christmas, why don't you give them a gift? Bake them some cookies. Now, don't put X-lax in it. Just be nice, right? <laughs> just a nice gift to show love. See how they respond. Now, we make effort, and some people never respond. And it's not that we have to keep beating ourselves up, but... We need to initiate that effort to try to show love. And then he says something that shows great intimacy in our relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That means I have to enter into your feelings. When you're excited about something, I need to get excited, right? We like for people to emotionally connect to us. So if you're excited about something, I may be having a bad day. I may be having a bad month. I may be having a bad year, but I'm going to rejoice with you because I love you. And then if you're hurting, I'm going to hurt with you. I may not fully understand what you're going through. And I may not, it's not that you need my wisdom and logic in the moment. You just need my presence. So I'm just going to be there for you. I'm going to listen. I'm going to pray. I'm going to cry. I'm going to hurt because you hurt. That's the intimacy of what he's talking about, of what it means to truly be connected in the, in the community of faith. That I'm going to mourn when you mourn, and I'm going to rejoice when you rejoice. That way, we, when God is blessing us, we get to share the blessings with others. But, but when we're going through a time of suffering, in some sense, it's cut in half because I know there's somebody right there with me, even silent, but with me. And so Paul is describing Christian fellowship. And, and the New Testament, the Greek word is koinonia, which is not talking about a potluck dinner. This is true fellowship. It means to have things in common. 
means that I, we are connecting on different levels as human beings. In fact, there was a word that was not used in the time of Paul's writing, in the time of the early church. It was an old Greek word that they kind of dusted off and brought in because there was no ordinary word to describe what they were going through. If you read Acts 2 and the fellowship that was deepening in their relationship. And so they brought back this word koinonia because it, it spoke to what was going on. It was more than just, hey, how are you doing? It's how can I invest in your life? Tell me what God's doing in your life so I can celebrate with you. Tell me how you're hurting so that I can mourn with you. This is the kind of fellowship that Paul is driving us towards. This is the kind of fellowship people are looking for. This is the kind of fellowship people need to find the minute they walk in these doors. This pandemic has caused great pain and suffering in so many lives. In a season that the world typically is focused on Christmas, now we're focused on a pandemic. And so some of that has even been taken away from us. People all around need to walk in, and not because they read it on a banner, not because we have a coffee bar, not because we have a guest services team, but the first person they encounter in the parking lot or on the sidewalk, they automatically experience fellowship, love, concern, care. That's your job. Every one of you who are members of this church have a responsibility, are commanded by God through Paul to treat each other this way, even the people you don't know. Statistics tell us we have seven seconds to make a good first impression the minute somebody comes onto our campus. That's your responsibility, not just the trustees, not just the staff, not just life group leaders, not just guest services, every one of you. I know a lot of you are introverts, that's no excuse to not say hi to somebody. And now you're wearing a mask, so we can't even tell what your face is doing. Just do it. Just be nice to people. Just be loved. Imagine that was you walking onto our campus for the first time. How would you want to be received? To be ignored? To stand off in a corner to not know where to go? No, of course not. Let's treat others the way we expect to be treated. That sounds like a good thing. That ought to be a rule or something. Maybe put gold on it. Look at verse 17. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So here's the attitude. It's interesting. He shows us the actions, and then he gets to the attitude of the transformed life. So it's reconciliation rather than revenge. My goal in every relationship, even the person that hates me, that is mad at me, even the person that has hurt me, my goal is reconciliation of that relationship. Now, reconciliation doesn't necessarily mean I have to stay in close relationship with that person, but we need to make things right between us as much as it depends on us. You may take the initiative and be rejected, but you've done your part. This is all Paul's saying, do your part. That's the hope that we can reconcile things. 
I've had people come to me that have been in abusive relationships. How do I handle that? You forgive, but it doesn't mean you have to stay in that relationship. So if I'm going to honor this person, I have, to, I have to continue to allow them to abuse me? No, that's not what Paul's saying. But as far as it concerns you, you need to release that because unforgiveness will rip you apart. Bitterness will control your life and all your relationships. And so the way you're set free is by getting rid of all that, by forgiving and loving, attempting to reconcile, but not taking revenge. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. In this political season that we are going through, this is an important verse to make peace. Treat your enemy with respect. Allow God to make things right. That's his job. I've heard people use this verse to say, okay, if, the, if my enemy's hungry, I'll feed him or thirsty, I'll give him something to drink. That way it's going to make him suffer, right? So if I do these nice things, they're going to really hurt because of that. <laughs> so it's kind of like a, a godly revenge. No, that's not what Paul's saying. In fact, it's believed this idea was taken from uh, Egypt folklore, where if someone was truly repentant of what they had done, they would walk around with a pan of burning coals on their head, signifying that they are repentant for their actions. This is what Paul is saying. By showing the love of Christ, the hope is it will drive that person towards repentance. But that's not your job. Your job is just to treat them that way. God says, I'll take care of the rest. You don't have to worry about it. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. It's true, isn't it? The person you hate may not even know that you hate them, but you're carrying that with you everywhere you go. And Scripture says it won't just affect that relationship. It will begin to affect every relationship that you have, even the one with God. So let's decide to stick with love. And he says overcoming evil with good. Don't be overwhelmed by it because, as he said in chapter 8, we are more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors when we live a life of sacrifice and service to God. That's how we're overcomers. It's not that we're overcomers because we don't face temptation anymore, or we don't trip up anymore, or we don't fail anymore. No, it, because we are a living sacrifice, we understand that. There's the evidence. My service is to God above all things. Therefore, I am more than a conqueror because I know that he is always with me and I have heaven waiting for me one day. So we can't let, let the negative things in each other's lives affect the fellowship and love that we have for one another. Because we're all jacked up in some area, right? I mean, we're all messed up, wounded, scarred. We, we've all had, we all have issues. So that's the truth. But love overcomes how we see each other in all of our messiness. Church is messy. Christianity is messy. So we're not focusing on our faults. We're focusing on the goodness of God in our lives. So Paul commands us to have a spiritually healthy body. So in order to do that, we all have to work at it together. It's not just for some, this is for all. So here's a quick checklist. How would you answer these questions? Is there anyone that you need to confess to or be reconciled with? Starting with a community of faith, and moving outside, is there anyone you need to confess to that you've hurt 
or that you need to forgive and be reconciled to? Is there anyone that you need to come alongside with and rejoice or mourn with that person? You know someone's hurting, but you've not done anything about it. Someone's celebrated and you're a little bit jealous about it. And you need to let that go and rejoice with them. Send them a card, send them a text, tell them how excited you are. Is there anyone right now that you need to encourage or build up? Maybe that's you. (laughs) Are we making efforts to get to know the new people in our church? Again, this is all our responsibility. When you walk down these great halls, you ought to just be, hey, 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 how you doing? How you doing? Hey, good to see you, good to see you, good to see you, good to see you. We have posters on this great hall of our new members. You can put a name with a face. Send them a text, send them a card, call, get their number, see them in the hallway. Hey, so glad to have you, especially during this weird time. Am I being faithful in greeting others, visitors, members alike? And, and here's another one. Am I sharing worship services? We have this online. If you're online or you take out your, your smart device, just share that. This is a great way to get the gospel out, just to share that on social media. You see our posts throughout the week at church, like them and share them. This God with us that just came out this past Friday from our 317 Collective team here, let's, let's get that out. Let's download it. Let's share it. Let's let people know. There's something so simple. We can make a huge difference in people's lives. So here's the challenge I have. I want you to ask the question, what can I do to enhance the health of our church? Based on what we just read, what are some ideas that come to mind? I can do this. I can do this. I can can love sincerely. I can reach out. I can say hi to people. I can get to know the new members. I can call the office and get, hey, how can I text this person? I can be there for someone. Hey, I, I know this person's hurting and I need to call them right now. <laughs> I need to text them. Take out your phones. Do it right now. That's cool. I can share our worship services. I know somebody that they, they still haven't been to church in a long time. They, they don't even do church, but here's, here's a way I can reach out to them. What can you do to not take away <laughs> from the health of our church, but to enhance it? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, your commands of how we are to treat one another. Because we, as we look at it, we, <laughs> it's exactly how you treated us. We have no excuse not to respond the same way. And Father, if we're going to love each other sincerely, it's going to be tough. Because sometimes we're not so lovely. And sometimes it's going to cost me to love another brother or sister in Christ the way that you've commanded me to. But if I'm a living sacrifice, it just comes with the territory. It's what we do. And Jesus, you are our role model. You sacrificed it all. You left heaven to come live among us to be killed. That kind of love really is overwhelming. That God didn't stay off in a distance and watch us, but he was with us. He came to be among us, to restore us, to rescue us. Father, this is our message at Christmas, and may we be diligent to share it with all around. 
whether it's posting on social media, sharing our faith story, sharing our Jesus story, taking our enemies some cookies. May we be filled with your love that cannot stay reservoired within us. It must flow through us. That a world that is so filled with hope right now could hear the message that hope is all around. There's no need for them to be without hope. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.